Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about COVID and schools and an interesting article about why is our activism so mean? You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, happy Tuesday and welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. Uh, yesterday, I flew solo as we continued to have guest hosts and other things as my former co-host Ian Simpkins is off uh, on his new journey to Tennessee to his new job. And today and tomorrow, uh, we are thrilled to be joined by an old friend of the show, Ashley Hare. Ashley, my man, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And I like the confidence that I'm getting to come back tomorrow. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, let's talk after the show, but I think I'm planning <laughs> on it. How about that? <laughs> yeah, we can go with that. We can go with that. Yeah. Ashley, but, uh, get, uh, how about this? Let's uh, let's start here. Let people know who you are. You're a pastor, as we've talked about. Where do you pastor? Where do you live? Tell us about your family. Let's get to know you a little bit. So I'm a pastor at Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect, Illinois, here in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, Coming up on, I can't believe this, it's going to be five years at the end of this month since I was installed as lead pastor. And uh, it's been kind of a fun journey. uh, The church, we're uh, we're celebrating, what now, we're 12 years since our first core group gathering. And the church actually started in our living room. Uh, but we had no intention of being a part of the church long term because we were way out in Crystal Lake and mm-hmm. we knew the church was going to settle here. And through a series of events that we never saw coming, but obviously God did, uh, we just never left the church. And uh, I guess that we we despise church shopping so much. <laughs> we continue to attend a church, you know, an hour away from our house. And then we did the crazy thing and we sold our house to move closer to the church. So. Here we are. We're going to celebrate five years. Um, My wife, Jill, and I, we've been married 20 years. Uh, we got two nine-year-old boys in fourth grade, Ethan and Sean. They're going to celebrate their 10th birthday here in a few weeks. Uh, This is birthday season for us right now. Okay. So um, one person's birthday in our family is today. Uh, that would be me. Yes, we're gonna get we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. I don't for know sure. why I had to be awkward about that. <laughs> my, wife, my, my my wife said a couple weeks, and then the boys are in Naples. This is like prime time for us. So, um, but no, we're having we're having fun. We just got a pandemic puppy a few weeks ago, like everybody else, and so our family is growing in the midst of this. And uh, you know, all things considered, in the midst of what we're going through over this last year, we feel incredibly blessed that's so, awesome that's what we uh, got a puppy too back in june uh yeah. so we already had uh so we already had a dog a little dog and then we got oh a golden doodle which i figured would be gold but it's actually black and white and uh i was the long lone holdout i was like we can't yeah. get another dog we don't want another dog and then i this dog's awesome but so yeah now we have two dogs and uh three kids so we were the uh, same way like my wife and I had a lab for like 13, 14 years that we loved. And I was kind of done. Like I had my dog. I wasn't emotionally ready. And my boys were like, can we get a dog? Can we get a dog? Can we get a dog? And then it was, this was a, a rescue dog that was coming out of a pharmaceutical lab. And oh, wow. a friend texted saying, actually, so you had, you had Dr. McKnight on the show yesterday, right? I did. Dr. Scott McKnight was, uh, so, people should go back and listen if you did not hear that yesterday. Right. So, you know how we got the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon thing going? Yes. Scott McKnight is my dog. Her name's Alice, her foster grandfather. <laughs> I'm I sure. don't know what that makes us, but uh, no, we, uh, so we, she came out of a pharmaceutical lab after four years and uh, it was funny. She was silent and you never heard of a silent beagle, right? 
Right. That, that doesn't exist. She didn't make a sound. We'd had her like four or five weeks and then out of nowhere, uh, she's on the back of the couch looking out the window, barking at everything that passes by. And I texted, uh, uh, I texted Mark and Laura. I was like, so Alice feels at home now. And now she's talking and won't stop. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of cool that all of a sudden yeah. she felt comfy. Uh, our dog from day one hopped on the back of the couch and just barked really loudly. But hey, so uh, for people who don't know you, uh, you they could probably tell from your story that you weren't always a pastor. You tell the story about how the church no. was in your living room and then you became the pastor. Uh, catch our people up a little bit because it's a, it's a pretty crazy journey of how you got to where you are now. Yeah, so I grew up in Iowa, went to Iowa State, majored in electrical engineering, and that was the path. Um, my wife and I, we moved to Arizona after graduation to get away from the Midwest. And, uh, I spent 17 years working for Motorola and then later, uh, Nokia, where we were sold off to in the telecommunications industry and loved it. It was a, it was a great gig and kind of just assumed I'd always be doing that and climbing the corporate ladder until, uh, you know, we got part of a, of a church plant and, uh, became a lay elder. And then I took over our, our children's ministry, and uh, which I knew nothing about. But right. at the time, we just needed someone. And Ryan, our lead pastor at the time, he's like, I don't know. You're doing a good job with your two boys. Can you just do that with all the other kids, too? <laughs> uh, it's like we overcomplicate this sometimes, don't we? Yeah. But uh, then, you know, a couple years later, um, he came over for lunch one day. It was uh, just before Thanksgiving of 2015. And he said, here's the deal. Uh, it's time for me to move on. And it's time for you to step up and kind of filled me in on what's been going on in his heart over the last uh, last few months. And uh, so in February uh, of 2016, he announced his resignation and uh, the elders installed me as lead pastor of the church that started in our living room that we were never supposed to be a part of. And like I was the least qualified person there could have been. Um, I had no vocational ministry experience. I had no Bible education. My degrees in electrical engineering. Uh, but God saw that this was the path for me. So uh, I immediately rolled in seminary at Ted's where uh, I finally finished my coursework at Christmas. I just got to finish my capstone project at some point. Um, you, you interviewed me again in like four years. I'll probably still be saying, yeah, I just got to finish my <laughs> capstone project at some point. But uh, it's been great. And uh, a crazy last five years. We Yeah. We, we had a church merger in the midst of that. Um, we'd been a mobile church the whole time. We had uh, in eight years, six locations, four different zip codes. And I was like, we got to find ourselves a home and uh, got in touch with uh, an individual who grew up in a church here in Mount Prospect that uh, was looking to see what this kind of like, I hate the word season, like we overuse the word season, but I have no other word for it. Um, they were in a season of ready to pass it on to kind of a, the next generation, so to speak, their facility. And uh, so we merged in August of 17, and uh, it's actually been great. We've been, uh, you know, putting time and effort into kind of like rehabbing this and making it our church home, and uh, which has actually been great for the pandemic. You know, we had a family come in and use our gym this morning. We put a lot of our stuff online you can uh, register to use, and uh, not like you use the gym online, you register online just to clarify. But like, you know, last week we had a family come in with their kids and they were playing kickball this morning. A mom came in with her two kids and uh, just playing around. So it's it's been neat to be able to make the phrase we're using is make our church home more available to our church family. Oh, that's cool. And we got a workspace that people can come in and use throughout the week and work at. And uh, it, it allows for a, a bit more community and conversation to happen throughout the week. 
right. uh, in, a, in a safe way in the midst of the pandemic. So it's one of those things that we had never done pre-pandemic that we're definitely going to continue assuming there is a post-pandemic. <laughs> yes, we're going to talk about that later today. Uh, but yes, we are going to live under that assumption. And it's really good to have you here, Ashley. And uh, you, hit, you hinted at it's your birthday today. So A, happy birthday. Thanks for joining us on your birthday. Uh, I wouldn't ask this of a woman, but I'm going to ask this because you're a guy. How old are you? What's what's today? I had to look that up. I'm 43. So this okay. is my Richard Pe- Richard Petty year for the NASCAR nice. fans out there. Nice. Um, I am a couple I months ahead of you. I'm, I turned 43 in May. It's a good age, man. It's kind of, you it's, know, it's pretty ambiguous. It's like, yeah, well, how old are you? 43. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm in my 40s. <laughs> exactly. You're yeah. just very much entrenched in your 40s. Well, we're thrilled to be joined today uh, by birthday boy, Ashley Hare. He's going to be our co-host, our guest co-host the rest of today and tomorrow. Coming up next, uh, I had saw something out of uh, just all the bad stuff going on down in Texas. I, I saw something interesting that I want to talk about here next on the Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on what is a beautiful Tuesday afternoon after all that we've endured for the past couple of weeks. Hope that you are enjoying yourself. And we're thrilled to be joined by our, our newest guest host, Pastor Ashley Hare. Ashley, happy birthday yet again. 43 is today. Thank you You're very much. 43. Uh, it's good to have you here, bud. Thanks for coming back. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me back. Each time I get invited back, I assume I didn't say anything too wrong the previous time. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So, <laughs> so here's the let's start with the uh, with the hard question. What color is this sky today? And what is that bright thing that I see up there? I, do, I don't know what to do with what's going on around us right now. I, I read on Twitter that it, they call it the sun. And uh, I can't confirm it, you know, <laughs> just because you saw it on Twitter doesn't mean it's real. But I hear it's called the sun and that is the natural color of the sky and thermometers are breaking. It's like I, my watch is telling me 46 degrees. That's a heat wave right now. And uh, here, here's the thing, though. All of our backyards are going to be a mushy, marshy pond oh, here soon so- with like our eight foot of snow melting. From now till May 1st, probably, right? (laughs) It's going to be crazy, but it at least feels warm enough to walk. And, you know, finally the icicles are getting off the the roof. So anyway, we'll take it. We'll take it. And uh, hey, before we jump into this story, uh, remind us, those who weren't with us the first segment, where are you a pastor? Where can people find you? Pastor at Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect, Illinois. Our website's redemptionbc.org. We'd love to have you guys check us out. Yeah. Okay. So I want to jump into the big story from last week. And there's something specific I want to talk about it. But first of all, just all that's gone on in Texas, as you watched last week uh, and just saw the unbelievable devastation yeah. and stuff with the power grid and the water. I don't know if you've got friends or family back there, but man, was that just crazy to watch? It feels like you're watching kind of like a post-apocalyptic movie. It, it does not feel like 21st century America in any way. Um, there's a there's a girl in our church who has family down there in Texas, and like down there in Texas is I realize a massive place, but yes, uh, the, the stories they were describing of you know no food on the shelves at the grocery store, no gas at the gas station, and uh, what she said he kept saying was helpless. That was the feeling. Is it felt mm. helpless? And I was even thinking that like you know my thought was well why didn't people leave? Like I had a, I had a sister who lived in Biloxi and when hurricanes would come through, 
there was a big one that came through called Katrina. You may remember. Yeah. Uh, and um, they would they would leave, but you can't do that here when right. when there's no resources available to get out. And if you're in South Texas, like it's forever to get to anywhere. Um, but like the more they described it, helpless was a really good word uh, to describe kind of that feeling. Some of them are feeling. And then yeah. what, what's bad too, is when you see some of us up North, almost in, in the beginning, you don't see it as much now, but almost jokingly mocking the situation of, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, we get a foot of snow and we're fine. You get a half inch and you're, uh, and, but yeah, they're just not equipped for it. You know, we've got how many snow plows and we got salt, we have the resources for it. And you get further south and they just don't like this is not a thing they experience every winter. And right. Um, it's hard. I th- yeah. What I thought was crazy was I, I saw a, a map they did of the power grids in the country yeah. and like how like a lot of it, us included, is like from the middle of the state to the east, yes. is one power grid to the middle of the state or a little over to the west is another. And then Texas is its own. Yeah. Then, OK. OK. That might have caused some problems here. And so, yeah, uh, it is what it is. So that's the main part of the story. Just the uh, the devastation still going on down in Texas. They're, they're starting to get better weather. But, uh, you know, they're really going to have to clean up and pick up. And, and it's it requires a lot of help. I do want to swing this though towards something ancillary. So that's the big story. Like I don't, I don't want to lose sight of the major story, but I do want to bring something up. Just get your feel on, man. I told you I was going to throw you in the deep water. Let's talk some politics and let's jump in. But, but it's more than politics. In fact, it, it's not really a political story. I think that's kind of the point I want to make. So let me give you the background. You, you've got all of this going on in Texas, right? And um, Democratic uh, representative. Uh, who's who's quite a lightning rod out of New York, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So most people call her AOC. Uh, she ra- ran basically, uh, you know, it's not her state. And so she did a fundraising effort that as of last uh, check had raised $5 million. And then she went down to Houston, was handing stuff out. And, you know, people are trying to hold this up against what Ted Cruz did. And I don't even think that that's necessary. Uh but but AOC raised five million dollars. And here's what I want to get your feel on is that uh, I what really bugged me. Uh, I disagree with a ton of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's politics. But what really bothered me was the number of people on my social media, many of whom lean right or are very right uh, politically, uh, who couldn't stomach the ability to say, hey, she did a great job here. Hey, thanks yeah. for doing that. Or, hey, this was a really cool thing. And, and it really kind of struck me that, like, have we lost the ability to say even people that we disagree with to acknowledge them when they've done something good? Like, I'm looking right now at a tweet and there's all these people under, ah, just a photo op. Ah, this. Ah, that. Like, unable to say, hey, let's cheer on everybody right and left, uh, Democrat, Republican, everybody, all hands on deck to help. This isn't even her state. And so I, who totally disagree with her on a ton of stuff, still found myself reading these stories going, man, that's impressive. Great job. I wish more people would do that. Uh, Yet it seems like, at least in our social media world, that people on the other side of the aisle just couldn't bring themselves to do it. And I, I wonder if you've seen the same thing. And why do you think it might be that way? Isn't it crazy that we can politicize? And and, and when I say politicize, I really mean make it partisan politics. Mm-hmm. Anything. So the word that kept coming to mind was perception. Mm-hmm. And so the perception of what Senator Cruz did 
in going off to Cancun and the perception of what I, I hope she's okay if I just refer to a Senator AOC. I don't mean mm-hmm. that in a disrespectful way by any means. Um, it's just very, very different. And, and what's interesting, I saw one tweet where it had like the pictures of them side by side and you can get a still picture that makes both uh, what both did look identical in terms of loading water bottles into the trunk. That's what both pictures were. And yet the perception of leaving the state by one and the perception of going to the state by the other send very different messages. And and yet you see both sides of the aisle pointing the finger at the other one. Uh, well, he was going off to do this and look what he did when he came back. And the left saying, well, that was a photo op when he got back from mm-hmm. vacation or her coming in and what appears to be doing a lot of good and just trying to help people and the other side saying it's just a photo op. And and you're right. It's somewhere along the line. It's like our loyalty uh, became tied to a party, not to any sort of policy. And we've lost it. I mean, we've lost the ability to nuance anything anymore, it seems like. And so if you're on that side, you are therefore the enemy. It feels like the Bulls versus Knicks. And (laughs) how many years are we past that rivalry that we can finally look back and be like, you know what? Some of those Knicks, John Starks was awesome. Uh, But you (laughs) never could have said that in the 90s. Yeah, you know, at yeah. least not in Chicago. Yeah. And it kind of feels like we're in that kind of it's worse than that. But that kind of rivalry mindset where you are the enemy yeah, just because we disagree on some policies. And so I like I appreciate even more you saying I disagree with her policies. And yet, thank you for what you did. That's right. really great. Right. And even like how many pastors have we seen uh, where they've opened up their churches and it, um I've seen reports of, I can't confirm it, so I'm not going to say the name, but of, of a large church in Houston that uh, theologically we might heavily disagree on. And yet it appears that they've opened their church for people to come in and warm up and as a shelter and like, praise God for that. Let's put those differences aside and let's put the needs of the people of Texas ahead of all that bickering. Absolutely. Um, I, I think you use a very important word, uh, and, and we'll close on this, is that somewhere along the way here, and we say this on the show all the time, somewhere along the way, our politics started to turn people not into people we disagree with, but people who are our enemies. And, yeah. and people on the other side, both sides of the aisle do this, are our enemies. And, and it's very hard to say, uh, hey, uh, this person who I disagree with is still somebody uh, that I can cheer on. And it's still somebody, quite frankly, on the same team. We're both Americans, but we can disagree yeah. with how to run a country. But instead, it's good versus evil. Uh, and even when that evil person does good, I can't acknowledge it. And, and AOC yeah. is one of the people uh, who is the lightning rod of the right. And it's just unbelievable that people just can't acknowledge a job well done. Well, maybe you think we're wrong. Maybe you're looking at this going, whatever, man, like we've got to stand up for against certain people and with certain people. Let us know that at our Facebook page, Facebook, Twitter, uh, or Instagram uh, at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, Ashley and I are both dads and uh, want to talk about the pandemic and the reopening of schools and what it's been like in our houses and what's going on nationwide. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. We are joined by our guest host for today and tomorrow, Ashley Hare, uh, president, uh, president, <laughs> pastor <laughs> and president. How does that sound? You're like, I like I that mean, title the, more. 
on, on the state legal forms, you do have to have a president, vice president, and secretary. That's so right. Technically, I guess. That's right. So he is the pastor of Redemption Bible Church. Uh, in Why do I get the town wrong? Arlington Heights, did you say? Mount Prospect, Arlington ah, Heights, Des Plains. We're all one big happy family. You're all yeah. one big happy family. So uh, Ashley is kind enough on his birthday to join us today. So we are thrilled to have Ashley with us. And we're just kind of talking about the news of the day. Uh, before we jump into what we're going to talk about, man, you and I were just talking off air. This uh, this Tiger Woods story, scary, scary to see a single car accident removed by the jaws of life. Still kind of waiting on some details. Uh, but yeah, just to see uh, just to see that come across your screen is kind of crazy, isn't it? You know, what's amazing is someone I'm assuming you and I, neither one of us have ever met, will likely never meet. And yet the level of what feels like a personal relationship. Yes. And, and so when something like this happens, it's as though it is a friend of yours or a family member. I remember you remember when Kobe Bryant passed away a I year do. ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was on a Sunday, if I remember right, because it was I was leaving church and I first started seeing tweets about, please say this is wrong. You know, say this isn't right. And then by the time you get home, you hear an entirely different report. And like, you just had the breath knocked out of you. And it was someone you'd never met. So That's there's right. like this weird level of intimacy. And whether it's uh, uh, an actor, an actress, or a sports figure that, um, like, you really hope he is okay. Yeah. Yeah, and so especially we'll, someone who's been through as much as he has. Yeah, so we'll keep our eyes glued on the TV and see if something comes yeah. up. But uh, prayers for Tiger Woods and uh, and hopefully, you know, when you read single car accident way down a hill, jaws of life, that makes you go, ah, I hope uh, that could be bad, but hopefully it ends up being nothing crazy. Yeah. So uh, anyway, as I said before the break, Ashley and I both parents, we are both uh, dads, and so we've had to navigate this uh, this pandemic. Uh, as dads, you know, kind of try to help our kids through this. I think you said what you got twin boys about to turn 10. Is that what you said? Yep. Nine year old boys in fourth grade right now. Okay. So I have a, uh, I have a 17 year old daughter, a 13 year old son and an 11 year old daughter. It's a junior seventh grade, sixth grade. Uh, and so the big deal has been navigating schools. Uh, should they yeah. be open? Are they open? Uh, how do you do remote learning? Well, all the crazy hybrid stuff. So I found this article at the nation. Let me just read the beginning of it. It says this up and down the West Coast, millions of children in some of the country's largest cities have had no in-person education since last March. In L.A., San Francisco, Sacramento, Portland and Seattle and a myriad of other cities, there is precious little evidence the public schools will be reopening for most kids before the summer holidays. Meanwhile, in many of those same school cities, private schools have been providing in-person classes during much of the pandemic and wealthier suburban public school districts are finalizing plans to reopen in the spring. The result of this extraordinary shutdown is that low income, special needs and ESL kids in those three coastal states have been left behind. And so that's yeah. kind of the background. And we get this nationwide, although uh, it seems to be worse right now uh, on the West Coast for some reason. Uh, but where are your kids? Where what, what what is your schooling right now? Uh, what are your kids? What has been going on, uh, and how has it been going for your family? And we've been blessed. So, like most others, you know, when they were at the end of third grade, they went entirely online, and you know, bless the teachers, the principals, the administrators. They did the best to make the rest of that year work. 
Uh, and we weren't sure for most of the summer. We were going back and forth between uh, if so the boys actually attend a private Lutheran school here in Mount Prospect. And so it's much, much smaller in size, which means they can do things that a larger public school can't do just just due to pure size. And so do we do we go in person there because they really wanted to over the summer? Do we go online at public yeah. school or do we homeschool? And we went back and forth, you know, every 30 seconds, it felt like. And in the end, um, we went to their, they, the, they had like an open house so you could see what it was going to be like. And we just felt so comfortable there. It was the mm. same feeling we had when we put them in uh, preschool there. Like, we feel like you're going to take really good care of our kids when they're with you. And, and so our boys have been back in person learning ever since the beginning of the school, uh, the school year last fall. And they've done a really good job with, um, uh, handling when, when kids need a quarantine at home uh, or for whatever reason that you might for a day or two weeks need to need to go online. It's been a, a really great process, uh, pretty seamless. And so like we've been blessed. And what I know is that we're in the minority and having that story. But like our boys have had to stay home a couple of times. You know, it ended up just being for nothing. But again, all the parents, the administration, everyone is on board with we're going to be overly careful and, uh, and both times when we took the boys back their first day back, they were so excited to get back to school. Yeah. Um, I, we've got a number of teachers in our church and one of them, uh, she's a sixth grade teacher and she was describing their, their kids are just now uh, starting to come back. And one of the kids who has historically just hated school, like he was just so excited. He was literally jumping up and down the first day back. He couldn't believe that he was back in school. And, uh, so in the midst of all the, the horror stories, so to speak, there's some really great stories as well. Absolutely. My kids are all in the public school and they're probably in the most amount of schooling as they've been in person right now. Uh, but yeah. we're thankful for what they've had. It's been very hybrid. So in one yes. day out the other half a day here. But we just got an email last night from the kids school uh, schools. <laughs> of course, this is year we have three kids in three different schools. The only year that's going to happen <laughs> in our family uh, until they go to college. And um but saying that they're going to be doing in the come middle of uh, beginning of April, they're going to be doing even more in-person learning. And so nice. uh, I do think this article brings up a very important point as to the lack of, um, you know, the, it, all the states are different. Cities are different. Yeah. Uh, it seems like uh, on the West Coast, they're really slow to open. I mean, when you read that these kids have not been in school for one day since last year, since last March, like a year ago, that is just not sustainable. And we're seeing mental yeah. health issues uh, and we're seeing just the ramifications. Now, obviously, we want to I uh, have one of the priorities being the health. But when you start to read stuff about uh, kids in school, it seems like the trajectory is that they should be getting back to more and more school. Uh, like, have you talked about that at your church at all about just kind of the mental health issues facing not just adults uh, through uh, COVID, but but especially our kids right now? Yeah. And, and, and we're blessed. Like we're in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. So mm -hmm. relatively affluent in comparison. And so it's been, it affords us the ability, to, there's not many families in our church that are short on a computer or iPad that they need to be able to do online learning at home. Very few families that are short the internet connection. And so like when they talk about at the end there, as you were reading that paragraph, low income, special needs kids, not everybody is at home in a warm home 
with the computer equipment they need to be able to do this or with the parents uh, being able to uh, be home with the kids. Like, yeah, uh, we got we got one family where that keeps coming to mind. Both of them work and they're really struggling with balancing being at home for their two sons to do online education while they're both working full time. Mm. And one is in uh, nursing. And so, you know, like she's trying to do like night shifts to cover it. And he's trying to work at home as much as they can. But there's this is a really complex thing. And yet at the same time, like the kids really do want to go back. And uh, it's it's not been easy being at home. It's not been easy on the kids. It's not been easy on the parents. And yeah. then I mean, and then you hear the horror stories, too, of like there's a kid in the in the drive through at McDonald's because that's where they get Wi-Fi. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It, it never- kind of feels like the Texas thing over again. This is yep. 21st century United States again. Yeah. None of us were prepared for that. You think about it. We're coming up like in a couple of weeks on a year from when they shut yeah. everything down. And obviously we've all figured this out as we've been going along. And also we, we've wanted to prioritize health in this and that. But it, it, there also comes a point where you've got to weigh uh, the mental health of the kids and yep. and. Uh, just the the education of the children. And so it's yeah. good to see schools starting to get back. Uh, and hopefully that happens more and more and kids uh, don't get left behind here. We'd love to know what you think. Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram uh, at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, Daniel Darling wrote at Christian Headlines, why is our activism so mean? Going to have that discussion next year on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by our guest host and birthday boy, Ashley Hare. Ashley is the lead pastor. I called him the president last time, but that's incorrect. He's the lead pastor of uh, Redemption Bible Church. I got it right, right? Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. Yes, Mount Prospect. It took me only half a show to get it correct. You know, it's okay, though. I don't know any of the towns south of Interstate 90, so the fact that we're above 90, you can get us mixed up because I'm going to get y'all mixed up down south. It's so true. Down south. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all of you guys above 90, and I know the radio station is up that way, but everything kind of above 90, I'm just like, yeah, it's just the north suburbs. (laughs) You guys, I'm like, oh, you're by the zoo, right? Everything's just by the zoo. Oh, that's funny. Everything's in the zoo. Probably takes me as long to get to the zoo as it takes you. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to talk about here was this fascinating article at Christian Headlines I saw written by Daniel Darling. We'll, we do a lot of the Daniel Darling stuff, say, when he writes at the Gospel Coalition uh, and some other places. But at Christian Headlines, he wrote with this title. I'm just going to read most of the article. Uh, and then I just want to get Ashley's take on it. We're going to talk about this as pastors. Uh, this is something I think we're both interested in. Daniel Darling writes this title. Why is our activism so mean? He says, from the time I can remember, I've been an avid follower of the news. When I was a kid, I'd read the Chicago Tribune, Daily Herald, Chicago Sun Times, WGN Radio, WBBM News Radio, uh, sometimes at the top of the hour with Moody. He said, we didn't even have a TV. I also subscribed to U.S. News and World Report, uh, the National Review. I always had a keen interest in what's going on in the world. Today, of course, he says, news floods across our social media timelines and interrupts us in the form of phone alerts. Friends text us links. We can't escape it, it seems. As I said in my last column, I don't believe Christians can adequately live out the demands of the gospel without active engagement in the world. In a representative republic like ours, Darling writes, one of the ways we love our neighbors is to use our voice and vote to help shape the society our neighbors live in. 
For most of my life, I've been involved in advocacy in one form or another, sometimes helping friends run for office, uh, sometimes as a pastor, helping Christians think through complex issues, sometimes marching for the sanctity of life, sometimes using my pen, and in the last decade, working at Christian organizations. I believe in this work. Christians should be at work like this in the world, and yet today, it seems our activism has become so mean. I don't want to blame social media entirely for this increasing meanness because the malice has been in the world since Eden. There are so many factors at work that have further polarized people, yet social media platforms have given us a stage by which we can advocate for issues in a much more public and vocal way. I think this is mostly good, darling writes, as voices can converge around issues and can help build momentum for change. Still, I'm starting to think many of us confuse a kind of performative activism with actual advocacy. Ooh, that's a sentence. Mm -hmm. There is self-righteousness to the echo chambers. We join a thick us versus them mentality that exists. This is a problem, he writes, across the ideological spectrum from left to right and everything in between. We no longer speak out for important issues. We are primarily concerned about speaking against those who disagree with us, using the vulnerable as a useful against those who we consider our enemies. Sometimes these perceived foes aren't even on the other side of the political aisle. They are people who mostly agree with us who aren't, in our view, sufficiently angry online. Let me end here. There's an invisible set of unwritten social rules that take on an almost religious fervor. We are eager to exile those who we deem not pure enough and mythologize those to whom we falsely attribute courage in which being brave is measured by the degree of invincibility. There's a little bit more to this article, but what do you think about that? This idea that kind of uh, we've gone from like ad actual advocacy to kind of this faux advocacy and that really what's going on in our culture is just getting worked up and getting angry. And in his words, becoming me. Yeah, like there's a theme to these topics we're talking about today, isn't it? Us yeah. versus them. That We're making the other guy out to be the bad guy, out to be our enemy and that the line that i highlighted we no longer speak out for issues it's a phrase that we've been trying to work into the culture of our church here at redemption of i want us to be known by what we are for not by what we are against yes and so let us let, like we're preaching through the beatitudes right now so let, let's be known by what we are for we are for uh, making peace we are for being merciful we are for loving our neighbor as ourself and that people then say well you're liberal Hmm. You know, you're uh, one guy on one of my uh, uh, sermons on, on YouTube uh, labeled me an effeminate something or other. And uh, I was like, yeah, but that's because I want to be known by what we're for. And, and didn't Jesus himself say we should be known by our love, hmm. uh, not by all these other things. And so we just we are we're mean to each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've lost the ability to be kind. And, you know, you and I, we don't agree on everything. And I think. Yeah. Are better the more fun conversations are when we disagree and we disagree in a way in which we can learn from each other and listen to each other versus always talking over each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um and, and this doesn't mean that there's not times not to be passionate uh and no. to stand up and to and to really advocate. That's what he's he's asking us in this article to do is to actually yeah. advocate, to actually yep. uh get stuff done. He said earlier later in the article. Let's see if I can find it. He basically says advocacy, but genuine advocacy as opposed to performative activism is about building a diverse coalition of people around an issue and pushing those in positions of power to make real change. So it's not about 
what can I post online? Those are important. Like that moves the needle a little bit, but it's not just this performative activism that as he coins it, that just yeah. tries to make people think I'm this or that, but it's actually trying to do work. And, and when it's just more performative, that's when uh, there gets to be, uh, in his words, a lot of bluster and just yep. kind of a lot that's out there. I do love that phrase. We want to be more for known for what we're for or what we're than what we're against. How do you guys live that out? How do you speak of that? What, what does that look like within a church setting? I, I think so. What, I want to share something. I, I reached out the other day to Karen Swallow Pryor, and I wanted to, a recommendation on books to read as far as like thinking and reading critically. And she recommended a book by by Tom Nichols called The Death of Expertise, which was incredible. We talked and about it the, the other day. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, so I love that part where he was talking about debate and the idea of in a debate being able to before you can uh, express your view, you need to be able to recap the other side or the other person's view in a way that is acceptable to them. Like you have to properly understand their view first, then you can express yours. And that requires us to listen, not just hear or try and talk over. I was like, that was so good that we try and put a, like a face and a name and a story with someone we might disagree with to understand why is it you think that way? What went into forming that view that you have? Uh, it's sort of like when you get that really angry email where we had a knee jerk reaction to think you're mad at me for what I did, but I don't know, maybe something's going on else in their life that yeah. we need to talk about. And I don't know, like treating each other as human beings created in the image of God. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. Do we kind of need to go back to like preschool again? <laughs> this, this, is, this is why there was a resurgence of Mr. Rogers in the last couple of years. Yes. It really is. Let me read how uh, Darling ends the article. He says, uh, first, he says, we could also do with a bit more self-awareness and humility. And then at the end, he says, yeah. Paul is saying this as a way of reminding himself that he was not always right about everything. And neither yeah. are we. There are certain things about which Christians should be certain, but there are many, many pragmatic issues about which we may have convictions that we should fight for, but uh, hold loosely. Our mission when advocating should be persuasion, not punishment. This more than public posturing will actually help those we seek uh, to help the most. I love that line more than public hey, posture. Hey, this is going to help. Alliteration was beautiful. <laughs> there you go. He yes. is, I'm guessing, at the heart a pastor. So check out this article, Christian Headlines. We've got it up on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. This idea that why has our activism become so mean? Well, the first hour is in the book. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about Rush Limbaugh. That's next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Rush Limbaugh, Bill Gates, uh, and then do Christian leaders need accountability and what does that look like? You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today by our guest co-host for today and tomorrow, Ashley Hare. Ashley, how's the birthday going? Has this been a good choice for your birthday so far today? I mean, this is like the highlight. Well, no, I was going to say this is the highlight so far, <laughs> but, but uh, Tim, our worship uh, leader and I, we had ramen from this strip mall place down the road for lunch. 
that is just like incredible. It's kind of like our go-to birthday place whenever one of us has a birthday. Nice. So um, ramen was one A. This is one B. We'll After this, uh, the uh, we got a bunch of girls from Trinity that attend Redemption from the soccer team. And so I'm going to go catch their first soccer game of the season. It got moved from last fall to this spring. So excited for that. And then uh, spending the evening with my wife and kids. They got some stuff planned that they're not willing to tell me just yet. So and hopefully that will day. turn out to be your favorite part of the day. But I do love some good ramen. My We somehow got a box of ramen in the house, just old school ramen. And I had a, a packet of it the other day. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. <laughs> yeah. well, I, so that's the only experience I had with ramen was that little, you know, 10 cent pack. And then when you have real ramen, you're like, it's life changer. Yes. Yes, I Life even changer. even the ten cent pack <laughs> <laughs> with a little, a little uh, Tony Catron seasoning on top. Yes. It makes everything better. You're like, oh, I'm back in college now. This is yes. a wonderful thing. Uh, last week, uh, I'm going to bring up a name that for some of you uh, brings very warm feelings, and others of you brings uh, much anger. And that guy's name is Rush Limbaugh. Well, last week, Rush Limbaugh, uh, maybe arguably, uh, whether you love him or hate him, the Maybe the most important, most influential, one of uh, at least the most important, most influential uh, people in the talk radio field. Uh, Rush Limbaugh passed away after a rather brief uh, illness of lung cancer. And actually, I think you were telling me off air, uh, Rush Limbaugh was a regular presence, his voice at least in your childhood, I think you said. Is that correct? All the time. So there was a lot of time my grandparents lived a ways away. And so when we would make the drive to grandma and grandpa, it's like, he was always on in the car. I, I, I didn't know. I thought he had a whole radio station devoted to him because he was <laughs> always on. Um, and so he's a name and a voice I've always known. Um, and that like has all kinds of emotional things as an adult now. Um, but yeah, to hear of his passing, it's, you know how we were talking before about when a, when an athlete or a, uh, an actor, actress, it's kind of the same thing with, with rush. He's such a big uh, personality that nobody doesn't know who Rush is. Yeah. Uh, and even though he's polarizing, there's like a, a sadness, like a life was lost. And um, even if you disagree with him, I don't know. I think it's something we should mourn and lament a little bit rather than celebrate. And I realize I'm putting the cart before the horse <laughs> conversation here, but we call that a I, segue I, in the biz here, right? Uh, because that is, uh, let's just put it this way. Uh, there is a lot of people who do not agree with what you just said right there about uh, yeah. what to do. And so I found this uh, article to get us into it uh, is uh, entitled this dancing on the grave of Rush Limbaugh time to confront America's culture of contempt. After controversial talk show host Rush Limbaugh died on Wednesday, many Americans were slow to show compassion and quick to unleash contempt. Uh, here we go. He says, uh, I, this, this author says I was preparing for my radio show. When I learned that Rush Limbaugh had died, I jumped into the studio with my colleagues to process the news. I was ready for all the discussion. I wasn't ready for how comfortable so many Americans have become with contempt. As me and my host began the conversation that continued through the end of their show and into the beginning of my program, the text line and many social media pages filled with contemptuous uh, comments about the deceased. Texts range from harsh criticism and where Mr. Limbaugh's soul would be banished to good riddance and best news of the year to he was poison and even to profane and sickening. I marveled at how comfortable society has become with contempt, even towards someone who had just died. I confessed it really saddened. It truly saddened me. 
Uh, he said, in my radio comments, I spoke of Limbaugh's divisive and dismissive rhetoric. I also outlined his uncanny ability to listen and then reflect feelings. I covered his personal challenges with addiction. I hid how he was part of what paved the way for contentious political leaders. I covered in his successes and failures and why 27 million people would tune in to listen. Love him or hate him, Mr. Limbaugh was a force that required supporters and detractors to pay attention. Uh, and, and so he, I'll end with this line. He says, saying anything positive or negative only seemed to unleash more contempt. Uh, this was something I've been wanting to talk about because when I saw Rush Limbaugh, I'm not a fan of Rush Limbaugh. I didn't grow up listening to him either, but, uh, I was honestly surprised by the number of people on Twitter. And I understand it's Twitter, but even on some of the more liberal c- cable news channels, CNN or MSNBC or other places, where there was a little bit of a giddiness, if we're going to be honest, over yeah. the death of Rush Limbaugh. Not just joking, but just like a good riddance, as they said here. Uh, and a lot of people justified it by how Rush Limbaugh was when certain people died or the way he talked about people. Uh, but, man, did I feel really uncomfortable kind of reading through Twitter, uh, Instagram, cable news, uh, blogs, whatever else it might be about people's contempt and their kind of giddiness to dance on his grave. I might just be naive there, but what did you think as you saw it kind of unraveling? Same thing. Like, there's not much politically that I think he and I are going to agree on. <laughs> and, and it's not so much what was said, but how it was said. It, it was the divisive rhetoric and trying to drive a wedge that I that I could not stand. However, like, a, per, a human being died. Yep. And what hit me was like this... Um, even some like David French posted something about like rest in peace, Rush Limbaugh. And I'm sure that a week earlier, someone like David French and Rush Limbaugh would go head to head. And here he is saying, no, he, a human being passed away. And like, if we, if we step back and we as Christians want to say that we are pro-life is like a buzzword, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. How pro-life are we? Mm. How much do we mourn the loss of a life? And so like, you know, I mentioned we talked about like the death penalty Sunday. Um, do we celebrate and do we cheer an execution? Because we celebrated and we uh, we celebrated the death of someone here. Um, going through the Sermon on the Mount is just making me rethink so much of what I learned growing up from everywhere. Mm-hmm. That uh, are we living out the way of Jesus? You know, like if Jesus were here and he saw us celebrating the death of someone we disagreed with, yeah. Would he be pleased with that? It's just a weird deal, man, because uh, I understand why Rush Limbaugh was hated. What I don't understand is why people felt the need to say anything. Like if you hated the guy on the day of his death, it felt like that's a time then just to keep your mouth shut and not be like, oh, I must pontificate about what a terrible human being was. There's there's time to unpack his legacy and who he is. I'm not sure uh, yeah. while his body is still warm is really that time. And this article ends this oh, way. Would you say that in front of his his family? Yeah, exa- I, ju- I know some of it's just social media bravado. I get that. But even what I saw, you know, on CNN or other places, it was just it was just really disheartening. Yeah. And it kind of spoke to who we are a little bit uh, as a nation. Well, and it- and this is like this has nothing to do with this, but it goes it kind of goes along with it. It's carrying over into face to face interaction. Yeah. Did you see the video of the high school kid confronting Cam it Newton was, the other day? It was like it was like social media gone into real life is what it was. Yes. And thankfully, that kid apologized. Uh, yes. Partially, partially because I think he understood the blowback that was coming. But, yeah, that was crazy. It was terrible. 
Yeah. yeah. But like this line of many of us are comfortably stewing in our own cauldron of contempt. One, I love the alliteration, but two, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yep. We're comfortable and we enjoy it. Um, and we should mourn. Yeah. It. He says each of us individually and all of us collectively should jump out of the sorry soup. We're angrily stewing in. If we don't, yeah. the nation will boil to death in the comfortable cauldron, as you said, of contempt we created for ourselves in another spot. He says, when hate and contempt are our driving forces, destruction is the destination. This isn't about whether you liked Rush Limbaugh or not. No. This is about what does it say about us as a people as literally hours after the announcement of his death, there was just a giddiness uh, amongst many people who, who felt the need to verbalize that giddiness, whether it be online or on cable news or whatever. And what does that say about us as a people? We'd love your opinion. Uh, we would love to know what you think about that. Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, speaking of polarizing people, I want to talk a little bit about Bill Gates and climate change. That's next coming up here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Uh, speaking of being glad for who's joining us, I'm glad that we are joined by our guest co-host for today on his birthday. And then also tomorrow, uh, the lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect, Illinois, right here in the northern suburbs. Uh, that being Ashley Hare. So uh, am I right? Are you considered even the northern suburbs or are you not high enough yet there? I mean, we're north of 90. And we are west of 294. So that's got to make us northwest suburbs, right? It feels like it. I never know. I never know. I mean, we're at least in that general direction. When I lived in Wheaton, I knew we were the western suburbs. And then I moved to Downers Grove. And people were like, well, it's the southwest suburbs. I'm like, where's the cutoff? We're we're not like North Shore. You know, it's not like we got Chicago Bears living, you know, across the road from us. That is a true true statement there. So that's a whole nother world on the North Shore. That's true. That is true. Well, we're glad to have Ashley joining us today. I want to talk to to you about... Uh, so an article that I read at Newsweek about Bill Gates. So Bill Gates is uh, I'm often surprised how polar I'm an Apple guy. Do I need to like say that on the outset? <laughs> no, you do not. <laughs> OK, I just I just I just felt like I needed to get it out there. But increasingly, especially during covid, right, people want to somehow ascribe to Bill Gates. uh He's putting microchips in us and he's messing with vaccines and all this stuff. But <laughs> Bill Gates also. Uh, is a you, you, we've seen Mark of the Beast come out a whole lot more lately with him. Haven't we have. We? I didn't know it would be Bill Gates, but apparently that billionaire philanthropist, that is what he is doing to us. But who knew uh, Bill Gates uh, worth billions upon billions of dollars, the Microsoft co-founder, uh, he is really trying to tackle climate change. Uh, he said that the world needed to bring up the amount of emissions from the current amount of 51 billion tons to zero in the next 30 years or there will be severe consequences. He was on the show. Uh, he was on the television show to promote his new book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. And he was asked about a passage. This is what I want to talk to you about, Ashley. So we're, people, if people were wondering if we we're going to talk actually about climate change, we are not. Here's what I want to talk about. Gates was asked on the show about a passage in his book where he states that he is a, quote, imperfect messenger because he lives in large houses and is known to use private jets. Uh, Wallace asked him, how do you answer people who say, well, who is Bill Gates to preach to us? Wallace questioned, to which Gates appeared to suggest the stance was absolutely right, but noted he takes steps to make up for his personal carbon footprint via his work. Gates elaborated. 
I'm offsetting my carbon emissions by buying clean aviation fuel and funding carbon capture and funding low cost housing projects to use electricity instead of natural gas. And so I've been able to eliminate it. And it was amazing to me how expensive that was, that cost to go green. We've got to drive that down. Uh, And he goes on to talk about how earlier this year, uh, he was quoted as he tried to buy a private jet service. Uh, he calls private expensive private jets his guilty pleasure purchases. He owns a huge multiple huge homes. It, this reminds us of the of also the Al Gore conversation of where he was leading the charge about climate change while having a huge carbon imprint at that time of his life in Tennessee. And and so, Ashley, I want to get your feel for just this concept of the imperfect messenger. And I kind of want to move it towards churches, but but I want to start first with Bill Gates. Do you think he loses, in your opinion, the ability to speak about this? Do you think he loses some of the moral high ground, if you will, to kind of uh, inform and teach and preach about this uh, when he's doing things like using private planes, having huge houses and other stuff? Man, if I put my PR hat on and take the pastor hat off, like there's a perception thing there yeah. that it, it does look a little odd. It's sort of like the pastor living in a $15 million house type thing. That looks weird. Yeah. Um, and so I think he does a little bit. I do appreciate the humility that he's like raising his hand and saying, yeah, this this does look weird. And then notice how he almost goes into a works righteousness type um, escape clause. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and don't we do the same yeah. thing a little bit? Yeah. I, again, putting the cart before the horse, but I do think there's a perception issue there that uh, works against him. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know, but it definitely does. Yeah. And I, um, that I, that said, like anybody who's been through a security line in the airport, you, we would all be jumping on a <laughs> let's let's not be quite so hypocritical of being hypocritical. Like uh, we're we would do the same thing, probably. Yeah. And I'm not sure the problem is with private jets. I, I do wonder if it, it's interesting. We did a story a year or two ago where at one of the largest climate change, a uh, climate change um meetings or conferences it was somewhere overseas france or something uh they that there was a a kind of an expose done of just the lines of private jets and yachts and people are going well what the heck like which which way are you going to have it and and what i want to do you and i are both pastors and i think that that phrase the imperfect messenger uh is one that cuts deeply because i think we all struggle with that but uh, but what role do you think that we as pastors or just as Christians in general, th- that, that we at least need to attempt to have our lives match up to what we're talking about? Uh, how yeah, much of a burden do you goal. feel with that? And, and what what should we feel along those lines? I think we should be headed in that direction. Like there was a phrase we use about our be- our behavior should align with our beliefs. And they don't a lot of times. Uh, I think part of it, too. So. When when we get to the pulpit, I think one of our favorite passages is, you know, no one is sin or every no one is sin. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we gotta bleep that one out. For all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Like you, me, all of us. Um, but we sometimes I think we just kind of use that as a pass to get out of jail free card, like, ah, I've sinned. But when we talk about something specific saying, Yes, yeah, I, I struggle with this. And having that humility, again, that's the part that I'm getting caught up here, is I appreciate his humility in that. And us as pastors. Um, for us to get up there with a holier than thou attitude of I've got this all figured out and you've got to catch up with me. Uh, that's not how 
he, God's called us to lead and shepherd his church. Yeah. It's to come alongside each other and to you know bear one another's burden and weep with those who weep and enter into each other's pain and suffering and story and share that. And I think we as pastors, we have this incredible opportunity to be vulnerable, appropriately vulnerable from the pulpit in sharing, you know, we are not perfect mm-hmm. and we're all trying to be pointed to Jesus and to pursue Jesus. And none of us are quite there yet. And we're all on this journey together, so to speak. Mm. Um, and so I think if anything, don't you think we almost gain some credibility and it's not about gaining credibility. I don't mean for it to be like a gamesmanship, but just acknowledging the fact that no, we're not perfect. Uh, we're going to say imperfect things. We're going to do imperfect things. And we're all uh, sinners in need of grace. Yeah. And I think what we, not just pastors, but all of us as Christ followers need to understand is that we're never going to be perfect, as you said, but where our lives just completely deviate from our message, uh, that's, that's a problem. Uh, and, yeah. and that, that's the time to preach is not when your life is not at all matching up. Like you said, I like to think in terms of trajectory, right? Like, is there, yeah. is, is the yeah. trajectory of our life at least pointed in a specific direction? And I, I do think it's fair to call people like Bill Gates, some of these people out, uh, who have luxuries, not just, uh, necessities, but luxuries that go against their message. I think it, I think it really calls it out right there. And then what's up? Where's the line then? Yeah. When have we crossed the line? And when does, uh, when do we need to call it out? That one gets tricky then too. And again, we see like you know, the pastors and sneakers Instagram yes, account. Yes. For example, like what is the price point of a sneaker that is too much for a pastor to have? Ask 10 people, get 10 different price points. How big of a house is too big of a, a house for Bill Gates? How many houses is mm-hmm. too much? Mm-hmm. How much money? And, and I'm not justifying it. It's just, that's the question is we're, we're drawing a line and we're going to disagree on where the line is. We might agree that there needs to be a line. And that's where, that's where the conversation gets real hard. Isn't Absolutely. It? So we'd love to know what you think. Uh, we've, ta- we've tackled this before, but it, the, the idea of hypocrisy, the idea of living out what you're trying to tell other people to do, whether you're a billionaire uh, or whether you've got nothing, because as Bill Gates said, the, the whole idea of climate change, part of the problem is of bringing this down is the expense of it. And uh, he even acknowledged that. And so we would love to know what you think. You can always hit us up on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, I want to get Ashley's thoughts on all that we kind of uh, wrestled with as it, as it pertains to Ravi Zacharias, and then move it to this idea of Christian leaders needing accountability to guard our lives. We're going to talk about accountability next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today by Ashley Hare. Ashley is the lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect, Illinois, and he's also the birthday boy today. So uh, today is Ashley's 43rd birthday. Happy birthday, my friend. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, you're lucky I didn't know because when it, when it would be Ian's birthday, I usually just tried to embarrass him. And so uh, I not knowing that it was your birthday, I didn't have that chance today. So. Uh, I mean, that may have been intentional that I kept it secret until right before. It was was well played. Well, Ashley and I are both pastors. Ashley, as I just said, is at Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Uh, And so this idea of accountability, Randy Alcorn, who has written some phenomenal books, um, including one on heaven uh, and money, possessions. uh, What's it called? Money, possessions and power, I think. Uh, anyway, Randy Alcorn's books are fabulous. 
Uh, and he wrote a he wrote a blog at uh, his uh, EPM.org entitled this Christian leaders need accountability to guard our lives and ministries. And this is a couple of blogs. He's doing a blog series uh, alluding to what happened with Ravi Zacharias. And he says, I'm doing this so that as Christian leaders and lay people, we can learn from it and avoid sexual immorality ourselves. Before getting into his ideas, though, uh, Ashley, about accountability, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you just uh, what was your what effect and what was your reaction as you read just the horrifying stuff that came out last week about Ravi Zacharias? I think I was more horrified that I'm not surprised by anything anymore. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I did not have a connection to Ravi in any way, really. Uh, I know others that were like, he was, he was incredible yes. and had a, a meaningful impact in their life. I didn't, I heard him speak once. And to be honest, I was like, eh. <laughs> um, that not to take away from the man being an intelligent or, or well-spoken, but it was just like, and I alluded to it in a sermon a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I'm just frustrated of every week there being another one of these stories. And my heart breaks for the women and children, it, primarily in those two groups, who just continue to be abused and hurt yeah. by pastors and by the church. And like, it's got to stop. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't take another one. Now, I would encourage people to go listen to the interview we did yesterday with Dr. Scott McKnight. Uh, him and his daughter just wrote a book called A Church Called Tove. Uh, and it's all Great about book. this idea of goodness culture in the midst of as a way of combating the abuse culture. Quite frankly, that seems to be growing right now culturally, but also within our churches. And so, yeah, we talked about it last week, uh, everything going on with Ravi Zacharias. But um and just the just the pain of it. I think you did the right thing there to yeah. say, you know what? The focus of that story shouldn't be on Ravi Zacharias as much. It should be the, yeah. on those who were abused by Ravi Zacharias. Yes. And now, could you imagine the courage it's got to take to speak up against someone in that kind of power? Right. No, I can't, especially after they've passed away when you're like, OK, you could you could really then justify yeah. in your own mind. OK, you know, he's gone. I won't have to put up with it anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now you're fighting all the yeah butters yeah. of what good is it doing anymore? He's dead. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but. yeah, absolutely. Um, and so uh, some wholesale changes happening at Ravi Zacharias ministry. And I encourage you to Google that and you can find out. But Randy Alcorn here is trying to then reflect as leaders, as Christians, as pastors all across the board. What do we do? Because I think it's really important when you run up against something like the Ravi Zacharias story. What's not helpful is just to go, man, that guy, I can't believe he. Yeah, that's part of it. But all the time when we see other people's failure, other people's sin, it should put a mirror up in front of us on some level to ask hard questions about our own lives. It should always cause yeah. us to go, man, uh, like what were his failures that led him to that just dark, 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 abusive spot, uh, sinful spot. But how do I make sure that even if I wouldn't end up in that spot, that I don't um, end up in a bad place? Uh, and, and that becomes the uh, Alcorn's kind of mission here is to talk about a, uh, a, um, accountability is what he wants to talk about. Uh, I got the title of his book wrong earlier, uh, and it's a fabulous, uh, fabulous book. It's called Money, Possessions and Eternity. The idea is basically, uh, you know, how do we use our money, our possessions to make a difference in the eternal kingdom for eternity the way that Jesus talks about? I'd encourage anybody who's interested in the idea of money, of contentment, of kind of the biblical call of money. Randy Alcorn's 
money, possessions, and eternity is a wonderful uh, spot to start. Well, let me read a little bit of what Alcorn says, and then Ashley, I'd love kind of just your your thoughts on this. Uh, Nothing is talked about more and acted on less than being, quote, accountable. Some fear accountability while while others imagine they're being accountable when they're all they're really doing is eating breakfast and socializing with an occasional spiritual discussion, uh, but no going beneath the surface. Nothing's wrong with a regular gathering with friends that doesn't have an agenda. But if friends are serious followers of Christ, they're also a need to talk about Jesus and share and encourage each other. And when people see us in a group setting, especially with our spouses, they will pick up things. Perhaps that we seem to be correcting our spouse a lot or whatever else it might be. We need that kind of feedback from our friends. I don't know whether Ravi and his wife were in groups like that. And he's going to go on to talk about his own accountability. And so let me ask you, Ashley, just bluntly, you know, you and I are both married guys. We both have pulpits and we're both pastors, which brings a weird uh, power dynamic sometimes within churches that I don't think people understand. Uh, How do you uh, keep yourself to use Alcorn's words here, accountable. How do you make sure that you're doing things right? How do you make sure to uh, to not go down this path that, quite frankly, we've seen so many pastors and ministry leaders go down? I have tried to surround myself with a number of different people with different strengths that can speak into my life. And they are people that I know uh, love me, love my family, and love the church that I'm a pastor of. And so like, uh, Randy speaks about respectful accountability. And I think there's two different, there's, there's people who, I remember having one guy in our church who he had made the comment, Ash just needs someone to go kick him in the behind mm-hmm. every now and again. And part of me was like, yes. And the other part of me was, and not you. <laughs> yes. uh, one, you're, you're a member of the church. Yes. But like that approach, no. Um, and so, like, as I think through the people that I have in my life, we've got, you know, we've got elders, we've got uh, a staff pastor and, and another staff, our, our worship uh, director that um, have access to my life and that I increasingly try to, uh, you can't be passive about it. You have to be active about it and sharing what I'm thinking, mm-hmm. what I'm feeling, even the things that I don't think they want to hear necessarily. Um, but not just here within the church. I've got a coach that I meet with every other week. Mm. Uh, I've got a therapist um, that I meet with here in town. Uh, I've got a two other pastors in my life. One's our planning pastor and another uh, is, is his executive pastor that, you know, we've got 12 years together. And what's nice about all of those. And then I got a group of pastors within Converge Mid-America, the group that I'm a part of. And we're actually getting together uh, tomorrow for lunch. And we try to get together about every other month. It's they're men that I know, again, love me, love my family, love my church, and I the same to them. And so they're not yes men by any stretch of the imagination. So I get that whole, you know, we're just having breakfast together. I don't want people to tell me uh, that I'm always doing gr- a great job because I can't grow with that. I can't grow without, you know, feedback. And so um, I've got, I've had to learn to be more vulnerable with them and trust that they do love me and let them in. And so, you know, like we just hired a new uh, associate pastor last summer, you know, we hired in the midst of the pandemic and I've been trying really hard to let him know the things that I'm struggling with. Um, one to teach him what it's like to be in vocational ministry now, but two, just to continue to build that relationship and let him know, not only do I want you to speak into my life, I need you Mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. my family needs you to my, our church needs you to, and I need to be able to do that with you as well. 
and we're all going to be better for it. And it hurts sometimes, but, um, it's what we've got to do. So you, you have to take that first step though and invite it and welcome it. Absolutely. It's a good article by Alcord here and accountability. It just takes work and, and, and desire. It takes desire for it, right? If you don't want it, you're not going to have it. Oh no, nobody can force it upon you. But I do think if we've learned anything, uh, over the last year or two years, uh, it's, in the church world, it's that power corrupts. And and we've mm. seen that with some of the most uh, high profile places, but also in small churches. And their only way uh, to kind of combat that is to have pastors or one of the ways is to have pastors who are regularly um, being known and knowing other people, not on an island kind of hiding. Yeah. And and so we all need that. But if you're a pastor out there, I think especially for, for some of the dynamics that Ashley talk, and I talked about there, I think it is super important. I got one, one question yeah, for go you. Ahead. Who's your two o'clock phone call? If you wake up panicked at two in the morning, do you know who that guy is that you're calling? I do. Yeah. How about you? I, ha- I have mine. And I think to pastors or any, really anyone that's listening, who is that two o'clock phone call for you that you know you can call at any time and share anything with them? And like, if you don't have it, that's okay. Just be praying about who is that person and how do you go about inviting that person? Yeah, in? that's a good call, man. That's a good call. Well, coming up next, we're going to end the show uh, with something we do often. We go to the Twitter feed of friend of the show, Scott Sauls. He had another good one that I want us to talk about here next on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome to a beautiful Tuesday afternoon. It feels like spring out there today. Uh, I know that it's not, and the piles of snow are still here for a long time. But just to see it, uh, just to see the sun a little bit today and to see, uh, you know, a, like a little bit of warmth out there, see people walking in the neighborhood a little bit, it, it does bring my heart great cheer. Well, again, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us. Joined today by our guest co-host. He'll be coming back tomorrow as well. Uh, Ashley Hare. Ashley is the lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. So it, it hasn't been too bad, right, Ashley? We're, what do we give this at least a C, C plus today, right? Oh man, I was I, I have like five bullet points of how I've done horrible today and how to improve for tomorrow. So you're gonna l- uh, listen to the podcast like three times tonight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the beauty of doing this is when the first show when that show is done, it's on to the next one. <laughs> on to the next one. It's sort of like your sermons. You preach that dud, and you're like, well, let's go on to next Sunday. Have you ever had it when you finish preaching? Uh, and uh, I'll never forget this, especially at our old church. There'd always be this guy who came up and was like. He was like, Did, have you thought about this guy? You know, he'd be oh, like, yeah. hey, great job, Brian. That was great. Have you ever thought about or did you ever think about? And I can remember my thought was always this. Like he would always like be trying to tell me what I should have added to my sermon or could have added. And some of the times it was good. But I always wanted to be like, hey, bud, I'm done. Like, I'm not going back up there to do this again. <laughs> like, yeah, there's not a, there's not a one more thing now. Yeah, I'm not going to run up and be like, hey, hey, everybody sit down. Let me tell you one more thing here. Oh. I, I, people probably don't understand. Like, do you feel like you're your own biggest critic? Hundred percent. And and now with it was hard to listen to your sermon. Now you have to watch it to go back and critique yourself, and that's just more painful. Do you do that? Here's a funny thing. Let me pre- preface it this way. One thing that Ian and I learned over the years is that we treat it very differently. Ian uh, goes back and watches and listens to his sermons, uh, and I don't. I don't ever 
go back and listen. And sometimes Ian would go back and listen to our show. And I also don't do that. So and we kind of learned like why and, you know, why each of us do that. So are you more like Ian? You go back and listen and critique? I'll go back about every six weeks or so and and listen to one or watch one. Or if I know that I did something wrong, I'll go back and listen to that that piece of it. Um, where I was like, I, that just didn't, it didn't go the way I thought it would. Why, what did I do there? Um, and critiquing myself, like I said, I'm a, I'm the biggest critic I have. Yeah. yeah. Which is sometimes that, that's good. Sometimes that makes life really hard, <laughs> but it, yes. Uh, yeah. It makes for some Sunday afternoons that get kind of dark sometimes. Yeah, but, that is hard when you get off the stage uh, and you're like, that is not what I meant to say. I missed it. I yeah. wish I could rewind here and do this over again. Uh, we've gotten to the point now where my wife, Jill, she just knows by my eyes when I come back to sit by her, she knows how I felt about that. <laughs> the irony is the great irony is that, uh, if you went up to people in your church and got an honest assessment, that probably doesn't change very much from the ones that you thought were great versus the ones that you thought were no good. It doesn't. It does. And that sermon that you thought you rocked two years yep. ago, no one remembers That's it. That's 100% true. That is 100% true. So there's a little window into the preacher's soul right there. Any of you <laughs> who were wondering, well, speaking of great preacher, Scott Sauls, he is pastor of uh, Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville. I jokingly told Ian he's going to be your neighbor now. You can go just kind of hang out with him. Uh, he is also an author of many, many good books. Uh, Jesus Outside the Lines, A Gentle Answer, uh, and some others. I'd encourage you to go out and get uh, any books written by Scott Sauls. He also blogs often at scottsauls.com. Uh, that's why we talk about him all the time, because I find Scott to be a very humble, very grounded, but very wise leader. Uh, and so I wanted to just end the show because we try to end the show with some encouragement or get us some, get us thinking, something to stick with us for the rest of the day. And uh, this is what I wanted to leave us with. Scott Sauls tweeted this. Uh, this would have been yesterday. Scott Sauls tweeted this. To say that Christians are hypocrites, that we fall short of the mark, that we don't keep the standard is actually to affirm the chief tenant of our faith. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me read that again. To say that Christians are hypocrites, that we fall short of the mark, that we don't keep the standard, is actually to affirm the chief tenant of our faith. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Asi, what do you think about that tweet from Scott Sauls? Isn't that good news? Yeah. Yeah. Also, that I completely botched that exact verse earlier. (laughs) Yes, you did. It's humbling as well. Uh, but that's it. We're it, it, so much of what we've been talking about today has been kind of that hypocritical nature of us that our behaviors don't align with our beliefs that we say one thing and do another. And to come back and just end it with, yep. And thankfully we have Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. It's such a fine line because uh, as we talked about earlier, uh, you don't want to just go, well, we're all going to be hypocrites and get it wrong and therefore not strive to do better, right? Like that's yeah, we should we should be growing. You used the word trajectory yeah. earlier. We're growing in a trajectory that is to look more and more like Yeah, Christ. Saul's here is certainly not. And if you read any of Saul's stuff, you know this is not what he's saying. But sometimes I become uneasy when people talk about almost in an excusing way about the hypocrisy of Christians. Because it can be licensed. Like, ah, yeah, don't worry about it. No, it's exactly what you just said there. He's not antinomian in what he's saying. Here. Exactly. So so we are, there is, it's about trajectory. 
It's not about perfection. It's about sanctification, yeah. which is a, in the words of Eugene Peterson, a long obedience in the same direction. It's long. It's lifetime. Such a great book. Uh, and Saul's is a hundred percent here, right here. None of us as Christians have ever claimed to be perfect. That in fact, a main tenant of the faith is this all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you're one of those people out there right now, uh, who just beats yourself up all the, all the time going, I know I'm not supposed to be perfect, but why am I not perfect? <laughs> who beats yourself up for falling short of the mark, for not always being perfect, for being hypocritical at times. If you're one of those people who beats yourself up, uh, hear what Saul says here, that this is actually affirmation of the chief tenant of our faith that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that none of us are righteous, not one, uh, and that that we don't stand on our own merit, but instead we cling to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that through his death and resurrection, we have life, we have righteousness that we can't have on our own, and we can cling to that. Now, does that mean, like we said, that we stop striving? Absolutely not. No, we strive and we work out and we continue to obey and, be, and become more like Christ. Uh, but even that is as we draw near to him, as we are connected to the vine. I think this is so important. Ashley, it's your birthday. So let me give you the last, the last part of this segment to uh, bid our people, whether from this or anything else to leave some encouragement for our people. Man, I, I'm not one to get stumped here. You know, here we're in the sermon on the Mount right mm-hmm. now. And just to kind of continue your thing, I just want to pray over everyone that, uh, that we would just continue to pursue Jesus mm-hmm. And that I think it doesn't look like what a lot of us were taught growing up where we got to do, 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 do. Mm -hmm. And I would rather encourage you to simply rest in the presence of God, to receive his grace and mercy and to feel his loving arms around you, to hear him speaking to you through his word. And that we get the chance to uh, cry back to Abba Father, Mm -hmm. just as Jesus did. And um Rest. Good word. I, I think that's been something that the pandemic's been teaching me is to rest, actively rest in his presence and to trust in him. And I hope and pray that our faith and our spiritual practices and our pursuit of Jesus on the other end of this pandemic look different Absolutely. Uh, than what they did going. It's in. a good word, man. It's been fun to have you on. Happy birthday. Been fun being here. Thank you so yep. much. And Ashley's going to join us again tomorrow. Ashley Hare, again, is the lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church in Mount Prospect. He'll be with us again tomorrow. We hope you choose to join us also tomorrow from four until six. Until then, we hope that you have a great night. For Ashley Hare, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.